the problem is we think we shouldn't have problems. I, I think that's, that's, that's so true. The problem is we think we shouldn't have problems. And if you just realize, hey, there's going to be problems, there's going to be adversity, there's going to be failures, um, the, the most important thing is how to respond to them. And that's where we're missing the boat in general. You know, I think we just get too caught up in, in things that happened that we can't control. You just got to control the controllables. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, your source for the most up-to-date coaching strategies for player and coaching development. This is Jonathan Gillen. Today we're joined by an exceptional guest, Coach Tyler Gillum. Coach Gillum is an assistant coach at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix, Arizona. Today we talk about how he helps his players by developing them as young men in the classroom setting, how they incorporate competition into practices, and he gives us his thoughts on meditation and why we should be doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Tyler Gillum. Coach Gillum, thank you for being on Ahead of the Curve. Jonathan, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Humbled to be here and uh, excited to talk with you. Man, I'm extremely excited to have you on as well. For our listeners who might not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about your story and why did you get into coaching? Just kind of going back from the start when I was five years old, really got into baseball. Uh, I'm a small town kid from Oklahoma, uh, grew up in Ada, Oklahoma. It's about 17,000 people, but grew up about 20 minutes from town. And my closest neighbor was probably about a quarter of a mile or half a mile from me. So definitely country guy, grew up uh, on my grandparents' ranch as well. My dad's side of the family, they're they're big into rodeo. They bull rode, uh, rode Bronx, and uh, we had about 100 head of cattle. So I grew up in that that realm, I guess you could say, and, and seeing what my cousins grew up at and rode bulls and did all of that. And then on, on the other side, on my mom's side of the family, I really looked up to my oldest cousin. He's about eight years older than me and was really good at baseball. Uh, watched those guys grow up in high school and Watched those guys play in high school when I was about 10 years old. And those guys won three, four, four state championships at Latta High School. So when I was at a young age, I saw that winning and dogpiling and the tradition of Latta High School and really loved that piece. But uh, the big baseball part of it was uh, because of my uh, older cousin. You know, we, we grew up watching. He was a big Cubs fan. We watched WGN and, um, you know, when TBS started showing the Braves and, uh, chipper was coming up you know so baseball has always been there but a lot of it had to do with my cousin um and just seeing his successes at a young age and that you know really drove me to want to be good at baseball and get be a part of something like they had it uh, when he was in high school uh, winning four state championships so when i got into high school played for one of the winningest coaches in oklahoma his name's eddie collins he's still coaching at latta high school today um, he's probably coached over 40 years. I think he just won his 2000th game this year. So been around for a long time, but really gave me the foundation of how to play the game the right way, but being a man and how to go about your business uh, the right way. So it really started then. Uh, my so- he, he made a profound impact on my life, and I started coaching or I wanted to coach baseball. I knew I was going to coach baseball when I was a sophomore in high school. A lot of it had to do with him because um, uh, he gave me a path to go down and to be successful as a man and a baseball player, and uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how it how it started in high school. From there, I went to South Mount or I went to Seminole State 
junior college and played for two years, moved on to East Central University uh, back in my hometown in Ada, Oklahoma, played there for two years, coached there for two years as well as soon as I got done playing. So they they don't have a full-time paid assistant coach at East Central University. So I was a grad assistant getting my master's. Um, The school was paying for my master's. I was, you know, working 14, 15 hours, 15 hour days. We would have morning weights, practice throughout the day, recruiting. And then late night, I would be uh, having lessons from like six to eight o'clock, just trying to make ends meet. But I was able to get my master's there. It was an unbelievable experience because I got a lot of responsibility at 22, 23 years old. And I figured out a lot of what not to do um, and screwed up a lot of stuff. But it was unbelievable experience for me to be able to, you know, run the offense and coach third base and, you know, coach the infielders. And, and that was a, that was a big piece of, uh, you know, me getting into coaching right away and the opportunities that I was given at an early age. It was unbelievable there. From there, um, I just wanted to make more connections. And since East Central didn't have a full-time paid assistant after I got my master's, I ended up deciding I wanted to go to South Mountain or, go to the Phoenix area to coach um, because I thought I would make more connections there. And I love, I I love being in Juco. I was a Juco player. It changed my life. Um, It helped me get to where I am today. And I wanted to be in Phoenix. I think it's baseball heaven out here. I really do. And and it just so happened. I was able to jump on the staff here at South mountain and I've been here for six years now and uh, it's tough to leave. It's a, it's definitely a place that uh, I really love to be. And I just, you know, every day I'm trying to make it better and better and see how far we can take it. Awesome. So what does it mean to be a South Mountain Cougar and what do you guys stress to your players? Man, I'd say the biggest thing, it's all about toughness. We have a saying called the game honors toughness. And uh, another one that we kind of talk about is not dead, can't quit. And that, that kind of sums up what we're about. If you want to be a Cougar, it's really about showing up every day, putting the work in. Uh, being mentally, physically tougher than anybody that we play. Uh, but overall, just trying to be the best version of yourself. You know, when, when we're trying to recruit guys, it's, you know, they're not just coming here to be good baseball players, but also student athletes, uh, but also um, human beings in general. Uh, a big piece of what we do in our culture is just try to grow boys into men. You know, that that's, that's a big piece of it because, fact of the matter is you know some of my players they're gonna you know they're gonna finish playing for me at 20 years old and they might be done playing baseball or they might get to transfer to a division one school or uh, a four-year university and um, after that they're done playing baseball at the age of 22 but the reality is that they're they might live until they're you know 82 years old so they got 60 years of living to do so I think a big piece of it is being a man in all facets of life, figuring out how to overcome obstacles, being the best version of yourself. But, you know, we're looking to um, not only just create good baseball players or build good baseball players, but uh, create men to go out into society and change the world. Definitely. I love that line that they might not play baseball for very long, but they're always going to be be men past the baseball stage. That's great. When you're out on the road recruiting kids, what are some of the things that you look for? And can you see kind of that toughness by just watching them play games? Can you see that that they're good young men by just watching that? Or, or just take us through your process of that, please. South Mountain recruited me. Uh, when I was at Seminole State Junior College, 
we came out for spring break, played a couple games at spring break, and I fell in love with South Mountain. South Mountain was the first field that I played on in the state of Arizona. And I fell in love with South Mountain, and it always stuck with me until I got back here as a coach. And I think it's really easy to fall in love with Phoenix and South Mountain in general. I think it's one of the most unique uh, colleges, universities in general with what the environment offers, um, the area. Um, you know, I, I, I tell a lot of I tell a lot of people, man, it, it's tough shoveling uh, sunshine off the field every day. It's really tough. You know, uh, we've. I've been at South Mountain for six years and we have never had to pull a tarp one time. So when I was in Oklahoma, there was about we were pulling tarp at 2 a.m. and, uh, you know, get up the next morning at 8 a.m. to take it off, to put it back on, you know, so so on and so forth. And um, I've never been rained out of a practice. Uh, I think that's really unique. Uh, We're a Woodback Conference here. There's not very many Woodback Conferences in the country. We have 14 teams in our conference, you know, and, and I think it's baseball mecca. I mean, if you're talking about the environment, if you want to get seen and you want to develop, I don't think there's a better place in the country. We have scouts at our field every single day um, for practice or games. And then, you know, th- there's a million kids in, in Arizona that can play the game of baseball, but there's only three Division One schools. And so I think that makes it a place where uh, universities all over the country come to Phoenix to recruit players. And, and the great thing is we're, we're like 10 minutes from the airport. So if anybody comes, you know, from across the country and they want to come to recruit in Phoenix, they always stop by our field first because we're 10 minutes from the airport. So it's just a quick jump on over to our field to check out practice. And I think that's a, that, that's a big piece. Uh, you know, that's a big help. A saying that we have at South Mountain, you know, if you come here, two things are going to happen or one or the other is going to happen. You're either going to get exposure or you're going to get exposed. So you're going to get seen every day. If you're the right type of kid, um, you're going to get a lot of exposure. But, you know, if you don't know how to handle playing against some of the best talent in junior college baseball in the country, or uh, you just don't know how to, you know, play the game the right way. If you don't run hard down the line, if you know, you're throwing equipment, you know, you're not a good teammate, something like that. You get exposed really really quick so we talked we talk about we talked to our guys a lot about that is uh, you know somebody's going to be watching all the time you know and some other programs it's you know what if what if somebody's watching you every day how are you going to act well here it's uh, somebody is going to be watching so how are you going to act how are you going to show up every single day and get after it and get better and you know overall that's what everybody's looking for you know coaches wise across the country and that's what we try to stress to our players is who can show up every day and grind it's not the guy that can you know, hit a ball 500 feet one time and bat flip and do all of that. It's it's really who can show up every single day and bring their best, you know. So, again, I think South Mountain is one of the most unique places in the country to play. Uh, because of our area, um, we are in Phoenix. The spring training complexes are 10 minutes to 40 minutes from us. We've got major league and minor league players coming to work out at our fields all the time. If it's before spring training or during the off season. Uh, so I think that's a unique experience to see how they go about their business every single day. The exposure is unbelievable, but I mean, o- overall the weather, uh, the weather, you're going to be able to play baseball outside every day. And I, I think that's a huge piece to it. Also our school, you know, if you want to get into the, the, uh, academic side of it, that that's, uh, also, a, a an unbelievable experience, uh, for our guys. 
Uh, we stay on our guys quite a bit about the uh, academic piece. We try to get those guys to graduate. We keep them on track to graduate. We had a 3-5 GPA uh, at the end of the fall, team GPA at the end of the fall this year. And, uh, that's a big piece to it because it, it's a money factor, too, as well as they're transferring to go to different schools and get academic money. The, the better GPA they have, uh, the more money that they're going to make so, or the more uh, academic money that they're going to get so they don't have to pay out of their pocket. So we think that's a very huge piece that we stress and stay on top of. Uh, very much so that's the reason why i think you should come to south mountain i think it's uh one of the best places to develop but also one of the best places to get recruited from as well going into the second question that you asked me with what do we look for in players i think the biggest thing is there's a lot of players out there that can play uh, baseball at the college level i think what differentiates a lot of it for us at south mountain is a lot of the intangibles that go that go into it with what type of player they are. So if I go watch a game, we just watched the state tournament game last night, and for the most part, I, I mean, it's really easy to see if the kid can play or not. You know, it's real easy to, you know, look at the gun and see what the velo is or see his statistic numbers or see his actions. Those are really easy to to, to look at and go, yeah, that's a, that's a guy that we want. Um, the difficult part is seeing what type of guy he is. How does he handle adversity? Uh, so I love, I, my, my favorite part is when, not when, you know, they're mowing dudes down in the first and second inning. My favorite part's in the fifth or sixth inning when the pitch counts up a little bit. They've got runners on base and how are they going to control it? Can, you know, they make that three, two pitch that they need to. Can they throw a change up, you know, when they're behind in the count? Um, how do they handle when a player behind them makes an error? You know, how, you know, when they're coming off the field or are they, you know, are they picking up their teammates? Um, how do they interact with their teammates? That's what I watch. I watch body language and I watch how they interact with their teammates more than anything. Um, are they bringing energy? You know, we, we talk a lot on my buddy, Jeremy Sheetinger. He talks all the time. Are you a faucet or a drain? You're either bringing energy or you're taking it away, you know, so. I think that's a big piece to it because the reason why I think that is because at the junior college level and most all other divisions in baseball, the talent level at other schools, it's all really, really close, you know, outside of maybe one or two players. A a lot of teams are very similar talent wise. What differentiates all of them is the type of leadership that they have, uh, the type of players that they have, because the fact of the matter is we're all contagious. We all give energy or take energy away. So if we can have more players that bring energy every day, that look to reach their full potential, that want to, you know, play at the next level, uh, that want to, you know, not just be good junior college but players, but good division one players in the future, good pro ball guys in the future, uh, but good human beings in the future, you know. So we try to do as much background information on makeup, what type of kid he is. Uh, before we bring him in and then obviously at the junior college level that's not going to happen all the time a lot of times you know they're they're still 18 to 22 years two years old they're still going to make mistakes they're still not going to do things right all the time and they're not perfect we're all not perfect but trying to create a structure and a culture within our program to help those guys progress and learn from those mistakes that they have here so when they go into other programs they'll be better so that's i guess that's it in a nutshell Awesome. And I'd like to echo that statement. I know South Mountain is a great place to play. Uh, I play there for a little while and, and, uh, Coach Easton is just a, is a great head coach. 
I will say this though, the tarp was used whenever I was there. And <laughs> it wasn't because it was raining. It was probably because we were doing things that weren't supposed we weren't supposed to be doing. And he decided to use that as conditioning. And the one thing that I will remember about that is it smelled so bad that we were just dry heaving all over the place. So yeah, so that's my story about South Mountain's tarp. <laughs> There's always some good stories, I think, in every good program about stuff like that. So, uh, well, that's something um, I'll never I, forget for sure. Uh, I do the same thing when I played at Seminole. Man, we have we we have some good puking stories too. I, you know, I think it uh, definitely those types of things you remember for a long time. You hate them in the moment, but you look back and laugh at them. You know, in the end, it probably makes you a little bit tougher. It kind of makes you who you are in the future. Oh, absolutely. So I'd like to get into the player development component of our podcast. And if you would, let's start in the fall. And what does a typical week look like for the South Mountain Cougars? Monday and Wednesdays, I guess we can start with strength and conditioning. We lift four days a week. We lift Mondays and Wednesdays starting at 545 in the morning. We'll go to 7 o'clock. And then Thursdays at night at 6 o'clock after practice. And then Friday mornings at 10 o'clock. Uh, or 11 o'clock, 11 to noon. We have two sessions then um, split up between position players and pitchers. So that starts um, our week, I guess you could say, is the strength and conditioning piece. I'm also our health and wellness faculty on campus, certified personal trainer. Um, so the strength and conditioning piece is a big piece for our program and the development. So uh, we take that very, very seriously. I think it's definitely a it's an edge that you have to have. And I, I think if you're not in the weight room now um, in today's world, then you're behind. So we, we've had some great successes in the weight room. Um, School-wise, most of our guys go to class on Mondays and Wednesdays. We load up on Mondays and Wednesdays from 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., Monday, Wednesdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays, a lot of times they have off. Um, some guys maybe will have a lab or one class on Tuesday, Thursday. Um, but sometimes those guys, you know, I'd probably say three quarters of our team does not have classes on Tuesdays, Thursdays. And it's something Fridays we don't have class either. So Mondays and Wednesdays are our big loaded up days. Tuesdays and Thursdays are kind of hit and miss depending on your schedule. If you need to take a science lab um, and then we have Fridays off. So practice wise, we usually go from 2 to 6 o'clock generally. Um, on Mondays and Wednesdays, it's usually 3 to 6. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'll go to 2 to 5.30. We have early hitting every single day. So we do 45 minutes of early hitting, and then we'll go into our normal practice routine throughout the week. But it's very structured. Um, we have a practice plan every single day. Sometimes that's listed out a week ahead of time. So guys know exactly what they're doing. I think that's very important as they're preparing to come to practice, to know what to expect in order to prepare themselves mentally and physically for what's going to happen that day in practice. But also, I think it's big because they can go over some of the things mentally maybe that we went the day or two before. So they're ready to come to practice and they're locked in, prepared to whatever, if it's a, if it's a Team D if it's first and thirds, if it's bunt coverages, if it's pick plays or maybe some individual defense uh, that we do that day. Kind of how practices align. So we'll have early hitting. We'll stretch. We'll go into our throwing program. 
from throwing program, we will go into base running. Um, we base run for 15 minutes every single day. I think that's a big piece of what we do in our program. We ended up stealing 200 bases this year and led the country in stolen bases. Um, I think at every level, actually. So that's a big piece. Um, we So we emphasize it. After base running, we go into pregame. We take pregame every single day. From there, we go into individual defense. Um, and that kind of differs if we'll go 10 minutes to 30 minutes every day. From there, we go to team defense. So individual defense to team defense. Um, that usually lasts about 20 to 30 minutes. And then we'll go to our BP, which usually lasts about an hour and 15. And then from there, you know, we're at the junior college level. So uh, we're going to have field maintenance every day, which usually lasts, you know, 30 minutes, generally 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, but sometimes it'll last longer than that. I think it's a big piece of uh, making sure your field looks good when people show up to it. You know, we take a lot of pride into that. I think that's a big piece in growing men and, and teaching them to work is, um, you know, we might not have the best of the best everything, but what we do have, we're going to take care of it. We're going to show a lot of pride, I think, you know, um, in high school, going back to my high school coach, Eddie Collins, which I think he's uh, a master at taking care of baseball fields, but he kind of instilled that in, in me. Uh, you know, when scouts show up to your field or um, other people show up to their field, they can kind of tell a lot about your program, by what your field looks like um, and the type of guys you're going to have. Are they going to be workers or are they going to be maybe lazy or prima donnas or whatever you want, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know? So I think that's a big piece of it. That field maintenance, we take care of, take care of what we have. And uh, it's kind of passing it down and um, creating that tradition over a long period of time, you know, for the next group of guys. So that's just kind of a day in the life, I guess you could say of uh, South mountain Cougar. Definitely. I love it. Now you mentioned earlier that you guys like tough players. Is there a way to integrate competition or toughness into practice? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think it seems like every year we're always trying to figure out different ways to get guys out of their comfort zone. I think in general, if you're going to grow and you're going to develop, you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to be challenged. I think a lot of people just try to go to practice and it, it's it's kind of laid back and um, there's not much pressure. And then when you get into the game, the game speeds up on you. The game changes and then there's some physical aspects, some uh, psychological aspects that happen that you're not prepared for. Anybody can hit BP, you know, that's coming in at the same speed every single day. And uh, there's nothing on the line. There's no scouts there. There's nothing going on. Um, you know, the other dugouts not yelling at you. You don't have any of that happening. Practice anybody can hit then. You know, when all of that stuff's going on, if you're going to be, you know, in Grand Junction, Colorado, there's going to be 15,000 fans there. How are you going to handle that? You know, how are you going to handle playing in front of 30 scouts? How are you going to handle when a dugout's, you, know, you got a rowdy dugout, your opponent, um, and they're on you the entire time? Are you mentally tough enough to handle that situation? So we try to integrate all of those types of situations into practice as much as possible. I think the competitive piece has to be in there and getting players out of their comfort zone is very, very important. So um, we try to put something on the line all the time. We try to create pressure situations. You know, one of the things I really, really like that I think we need to do more, more of is having competitive bullpens, maybe where you're competing against each other, maybe like pig uh, playing pig like you do in basketball, but also having the entire team around you and maybe on you 
you know, yelling at you or whatever it is, why you are trying to throw a bullpen and having something on the line and being able to block all those guys out in order to make a pitch. I think the same thing hitting wise, you know, you get the, in, the entire team around, uh, around in the batting cage and you put something on the line. It's competition with where you have to execute and you got the whole, uh, the whole team talking trash to you and you got to be able to handle and focus in the moment while everything's going on. You know, I think, a lot of times you see the best players, uh, they're the calmest in the craziest situations. You know, I love Navy SEAL stuff. So um, you see Navy SEALs yeah, and they talk about it all the time. When, when there's the most chaos, you got to be the most calm. And I think that's very, very important to be able to control your heart rate, control your breathing in order to achieve or execute whatever you need to execute in the moment. I think that's very important. We try to teach guys to do that. We try to put pressure on guys in different scenarios and practice. Um, something I, I just saw about three or four months ago was a couple of big leaguers talking to a Navy SEAL. And they were talking about doing a mile run and a lot of calisthenics and then coming back to their gun and trying to hit a target that's a mile away. But when you try to do that after running and everything, your heart rate's up. You know, you've went through, you, you're tired, and now you have to come to your gun, your sniper, and you have to try to find the target, hit this target after doing all of that. Um, so you have to learn to control your breathing and focus in those situations. Um, I think, I think for, in general, in pressure situations in baseball, it's the same exact thing. If you're a hitter and, you know, runner on third, two outs, and you got to get that guy in, you know, how are you going to control that situation? A lot of times, you know, a stress uh, stress happens in that situation and your breathing speeds up and your heart rate speeds up to, you know, whatever, 120, 130 beats per minute where you need to try to keep it at, you need to try to keep it coming down. You need to try to get it back to 80 beats per minute, which is normal. Trying to train that maybe in practice where maybe you run a lap or you run a pole in between each hitting round and when you come back you have to figure out how to get your heart rate back down and be able to focus and execute if it's a hit and run or a bunt and run or you know runner on third infield's back and you got to drive the middle or infield's in something of that nature but you have to control your heart rate in that situation i think that's i think that's a, a big piece to it but also you know little things like playing 27 outs 27 outs is a lot of what baseball is, um, you got to get 27 outs in a row without making an error. That that's what a lot of baseball is. We uh, a lot of baseball teams lose more games than they win, and that's what 27 outs is. It's controlling the baseball and controlling yourself and playing catch and uh, doing the little things. So I, I I really like 27 outs, but there's a bunch of ways to do it. And honestly, I, I like all of them, all the competitive stuff. Um, uh, it gets me going. But at the same time, I think you need to get away from some of that competitive stuff and get in an environment where they can learn and they can fail as much as they want. And it's OK. I think that's a big piece of it. I think sometimes we don't do that enough. Um, I like to say our hitting cage is a laboratory. You're going to come in here and you can screw up as much as you want, as long as you're learning and figuring out, um, you know, sometimes it's. Um, sometimes you're taking swings, figuring out not uh, what not to do, you know, what what swing not to take, you know, um, and, and until you figure out until you get enough feel until you get enough swings in your body and mature enough to understand feel in your swing. You know, so 
I treat the cage a lot of times like it's a it's a laboratory. You can mess up as much as you want as long as you have a specific goal and plan that you're trying to accomplish and learning from it. I love that. And you're putting a lot of ownership on the kids as well. To And you're basically telling them that it is okay to fail, but as long as you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big piece in everything. Also in going into life, you know, understanding how to deal with adversity and deal with failure um, is the biggest piece in life. It's the biggest piece in the game of baseball. Um, you got to learn to fail forward. You got to learn to get better every single day. And honestly, you know, if any of my guys come to the field and they don't get better or they don't fail, I don't think they get better. You know, if they're always in a comfort zone of taking easy ground balls, you know, hitting easy BP, hitting on the tee all the time. I think we need to have some more of maybe cranking the pitching machine up to 93 and figure, hey, figure it out, boys. And that's really kind of what you find out in a competitor, uh, if the person's going to compete or not. You know, it's kind of like you hit ground balls when they're 10 feet away in the parking lot with gravel. That's an uncomfortable situation. I think we develop more in those as long as we approach it the right way. It's understanding how to get out of your comfort zone and develop, but also understanding that you're not going to be perfect. This game's not perfect. Life in general is not perfect, and failing is part of the process. I think a lot of people either forget that or just don't know that in general. Failing is part of the process. We usually aren't good at all at something new we do for the first time. You know, If it's something new that we've never done, we usually suck at it at first. And you learn from it and then you're better at it the second time and you're better at it the third time. The problem is a lot of people suck at it the first time and then they quit and go away from it. And then that's where you don't develop, you know, and that's what we're trying to teach our guys is you got to keep going through all that molasses, all that pain, all those negative experiences and and keep challenging yourself. And, you know, I, I love Terry Francona. He says something or his three main rules was do the right thing, be on time and never back down from a challenge, you know? So I always like that. Never back down from a challenge. I, I always love that. It doesn't matter really win or lose. Um, you know, it's if you learn from it and are you the next time that challenge comes up, are you going to be prepared for it? So, you know, I think it's a, a big piece that understanding the failure piece of it. So is there a way that you guys teach that in maybe a classroom or team setting, maybe a leadership building is, is do you guys have anything like that? Sure. This uh, fall, we started a one-hour classroom session. I thought it was really important just for our guys developing as men, not just as baseball players, but in the overall aspect of everything. I think it was very, very vital for us. We had 12 weeks that we did it this fall. Next fall, we're going to do 14 weeks. But I think it was a game changer for us. Um, A couple of things is this. I, I I really wanted to do this because I wanted to get I wanted to teach some guys in a non-competitive environment where they can sit there. They can ask questions. They can be real. It's not uh, an environment where they have to compete or they feel like, you know, they can't talk or ask questions. I think that's why the classroom is good, um, as well as we can go in depth about some some things a little bit more. So one of my favorite books is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. So. I think that's a big piece is educating why we do a lot of things. I think if guys understand why, then there's a lot more buy-in no matter what we're doing. So overall in that that program, it is a life skills course. It's a leadership course. It is a team building course. We we cover all of those in it. 
the results that we got from this semester, we had a 3-5 GPA as a team. Um, it was the most wins we had in a fall. You know, the least amount of discipline problems, the best skill level development that we've had. There was a lot, a lot of positives to it. You know, our assistant coaches did an unbelievable job of bringing great guys in too as well. So that, that was a piece of it. But some of the little things that, that started our one-hour session was me looking at our program and saying, okay, here's some of the problems that we have in our program. They're a lot like a lot of other programs around the country, you know, not just baseball, but other programs. And here's our problems. And I see a lot of coaches and I talk to a lot of coaches and, you know, just with social media and you see a lot of coaches complaining about all these problems. So I read a book by John Gordon called the no complaining rule. And that really hit home. You know, I'm not much of a complainer anyway, but you know, there's always these little things that we just don't like and we complain about them, but we're wasting our time complaining about them. I think it's a good time. I think it's a good thing to realize that it's a problem, but we're wasting our time complaining. I think it's very important that we just find a solution. So in John Gordon's book, the no complaining rule, it basically states you can't complain unless you have an answer or solution or two. So I thought that was very important. So that's what I did. I just wrote down all of our problems. I said, okay, what are the answers to these problems? And so again, like I said, I'm an exercise science guy. If you look at strength and conditioning, what do we do today in strength and conditioning uh, a lot more than we used to do? So there's a, we look at people that get injured and we used to rehab it all the time, right? You get an ACL tear and then we used to rehab it all the time or you have Tommy John and here we go. We're going to rehab it again. I just take, I, I took a look at what we're doing in exercise science now is there's not as much rehab. There's still rehab, but th- there's a lot more prehab. So guys don't get injured. So we don't have to do rehab. So basically prehab is going to be your positive environment. You are strengthening your muscles to do what they should do and limiting your chances of getting injured, right? So I want to do that in everything. I want to do that from the academic standpoint. I want to do that from the personal standpoint, as a man standpoint, as a baseball player standpoint. So that's what I looked at overall. Why don't we as coaches, why don't we prehab all of these things in a positive environment where it helps our student athletes grow as they go through this process of college or, or high school or whatever it is, you know, they might not have as many problems along the way. You know, a, a lot of coaches say, well, I don't have time to do a one hour session. Well, this is the way I look at it. You, you have to find time to discipline guys. So why wouldn't you find time to rehab them on the or prehab them on the front end? Because if guys get in trouble, then you got to discipline them. When you discipline them, it's usually in a negative environment. They don't like it. You don't like it. You feel like you're wasting time. And then a lot of times you are wasting time for other players on that team, you know. So with that, I said, okay, you know, I'd rather spend more time on the front end of things in a positive environment, uh, preparing these guys instead of on the backside of it, you know, trying to fix all these things uh, by discipline or running or, you know, study hall or whatever it is, you know, however, however we have to discipline or fix it or rehab it. So I just think that's really important. You know, a lot of people uh, kind of cling to that prehab versus rehab. 
statement, but I think it's true. You know, I think in general in, in America, it's true. I think too many times we're, we're rehabbing everything. I think that's a lot of the reason why there's so much depression, obesity and anxiety right now. Today's world. I think if we prehabbed it a lot more, if we taught people uh, more about nutrition and exercise and what it does for your body, not just in general on the physical side, but on the mental side, on the psychology side of things, I think that's just, you know, we, we try to medicate everything we're throwing medication or all these myths that it only takes five minutes to do something. And um, that's not true. You know, it takes a mass amount of time in order to create something great. So, you know, I got a lot of thoughts on it, but that, that's just kind of our one hour classroom session. We do goal setting. We do a time management plan. We have a compare to what day, which is like a perspective day of getting perspective in life. We have servant leadership. We talk a lot about leadership. We talk a lot about successful people. And I think there's a blueprint to success. I really do. I think there's a myth that everybody's just born with it. Uh, if you study successful people, which I've done, I, I love studying successful people. I've done it for about 10 years now. If you study these successful people and you see what their actual day-to-day plans are, uh, it, it's a massive amount of work over a long por- uh, period of time, and they've created exactly what they wanted to create. And that was like the book, The Compound Effect. If you read uh, Outliers or The Talent Code or Bounce or Talent is Overrated, all these books talk about the 10,000-hour rule, talk about development, talking about how you're going to uh, reach whatever goal you want to reach. I think that's a big piece. Um, there's a lot that goes into our program, but I think it's a, a, a huge step in the right direction. We don't have all the answers. Uh, that That's 100% for sure. We're still trying to get better every single day. Uh, this program was kind of 1.0 and next semester will be 2.0 and hopefully we'll keep going from there. Definitely. I love that concept of prehab versus rehab. And I think you're right. I think we react to what we see as problems instead of trying to prevent them in the first place. So I really, I think you're doing a great job there, Tyler. You know, I really appreciate that, but you know, I, there's another quote that really sticks out to me and it's the problem is we think we shouldn't have problems. I, I think that's, that's, that's so true. The problem is we think we shouldn't have problems. And if you just realize, Hey, there's going to be problems, there's going to be adversity, there's going to be failures. Um, the, the most important thing is how to respond to them. And that's where we're missing the boat in general um, overall is how to respond to all those problems. You know, I think, you know, it's just so important if you just take a look at different aspects of life. If you learn how to just respond to the negative things that happen, you're going to be a lot better off. You know, I think we just get too caught up in, in things that happened that we can't control. You just got to control the controllables. Absolutely. So we talked about what you guys did in the fall. Do you mind telling us what a day or week looks like in the spring? For the most part, we play on Tuesdays and Saturdays a lot through the spring. Um, Just kind of start, we'll start from January. So we come back, second week of January, we come back to school. Our season starts the last week in January. So the last Saturday in January is our home opener. Pretty interesting, again, going back to how nice the weather is in uh, Phoenix. So we're able to start a little bit earlier. We have 56 games in the spring and then counting whatever playoff games that you would have. But for the most part, we play um, games on Tuesdays, Saturdays. Sometimes when we're playing the schools that are in the Valley, there's eight different junior colleges in the Valley. 
seven Division two schools, and then we're the only Division one junior college in the Phoenix area in the Valley. So if we're playing one of those schools, we usually play home and home. So our week would look like we'd play a nine-inning game on Tuesday, a nine-inning game on Wednesday, and then a nine-inning game on Friday and a nine-inning game on Saturday. You know, we've probably got the least travel as well. Uh, of any other conference in the country probably i'm guessing uh, you know i'm not for sure on that but uh, we hardly have to travel out of state a lot of guys want to come to south mountain and play because of the weather you know and the nice fields and everything so uh, but for the most part school-wise it's the same thing um school they're going to be in in class mondays and wednesdays tuesdays and thursdays they're going to have off because we have a lot most of our games are on tuesdays and then fridays we don't have any school either so um, like I said, we load up on Monday, Wednesdays. It usually looks uh, anywhere from possibly we have new classes starting at 7 a.m. now. Um, but most most of the time our guys start 8, 830. Um, they'll go to, to uh, 230 on Monday, Wednesday. So that's pretty much the gist of our, our spring schedule. Let's get into base running. You said you guys stole over 200 bases this year, and you mentioned that you guys do that at the very first of practice. So do you mind getting into some of the technical side of what you guys tell your players? Sure. I think a couple of the biggest things is you have to educate guys on what to look for on pitcher's tendencies. We, we practice uh, base running you know, for 15 minutes every single day. We, we think it's very important. I think that's the, the difference maker in it compared to the past on how we did practices. One of our assistant coaches, Josh Garcia, um, he runs all of our base running. He um, kind of brought the 15 minutes uh, within our practice schedule. I think that's the most important piece is you teach these guys, but also you let the sophomores or the leaders on the team also teach each other um, so that you make sure that they understand what we're doing and they get it. So um, I think a lot of times us coaches, we, we think we're teaching and the players don't get it and then we want to yell at them. But we haven't taught anything. We haven't coached at all unless they know exactly what they're going to do and unless they know um, how to teach it. I think that's very important. So we try to ingrain it in them every single day. But a big piece of it is looking at pitchers' tendencies and basically how to attack those tendencies. It's kind of just like a, uh, a hitter is going to attack a pitcher on what pitches he's going to throw or uh, just breaking down the pitcher. of Is he throwing you fastballs in, away, off-speed pitches, um, you know, what's your two strike approach or um, how does he pitch with guys in scoring position? It's the same thing on the base running piece. We're just trying to figure out all of these habits, all of these tendencies of pitchers. And we kind of have it broke down to all different types of pitchers. And this is how we're going to attack this guy in this situation. So we go over those constantly at first base and second base. And um, there, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, a lot of times you're not just stealing on the pitcher, you're stealing on the catcher because the catcher's either got bad feet or a bad arm. You know, you might be stealing on the middle infielders. You might be stealing on the third baseman. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. Uh, but I think the teaching piece of it is most important. And then from there, giving guys green light and not jumping on them. It's kind of getting out of um, that failure phase. You know, I think a lot of guys are scared. I think more guys are scared to steal bases because they're scared the coach is going to jump on their butt if they're out, you know. Um, so creating an environment where 
we're going to go. It's, you know, I, I like to say green light special. We give a lot of green lights. We had about six guys within our lineup that had the green light at all times. And that's at every base. That's with every hitter up. That's with didn't matter how many outs. Um, I think a lot of guys get scared to still third with two outs. If it's there, we're going. I think a lot of times, depending on who the hitter is, let's say the hitter's got a 2-2 count um, and you got a guy that can run at second base, sometimes the best chance of scoring a run is the guy taking a chance to steal third and the, the catcher throwing it to left field than it is for that guy hitting. You know, That guy might be in an 0-10 slump. You know, There's obviously different situations. If guys are hot, you're going to leave them alone. You know, That's probably not a good situation, but... You know, we don't jump on guys for getting thrown out. Our biggest thing, as we talk about a lot, is good lead, good jump. You have to have a good lead and a good jump to go. And understanding what a good lead and good jump is, and that's where the 15 minutes every single day preparing ourselves properly, understanding what type of pitchers that they're going to face, pick out those tendencies and be aggressive with those. And then, you know, just working within a system um, like we do a lot with uh, some first and third situations and um, putting on some stuff there. We're, we're heavily working within an offense with our guys in certain situations. So, um, you know, we say pressure burst pipes. We like putting pressure on guys. We like making guys play catch at the junior college level. A lot of times you can do it here a lot more than you can at the division one level or the university level in general. You know, just fielding percentages in general at the junior college level are usually around 960, 965 is average. At the Division One level, you're more you're more looking around 975, and then in the big leagues, you're looking at an average of 983. So, you know, at the junior college level, you can take advantage of guys that aren't as good at playing catch, and uh, um, you know, I think we try to do that and put pressure on guys and make guys throw us out instead of waiting back and hoping we get a hit sometimes. No, that's great, and I think it speaks volumes that you guys put it at the very front of practice, and that's showing kids that it's not necessarily punishment, which is what you know I've done in the past, and what a lot of coaches do at the very end when everybody's tired. That you guys put it at the very front, so that's great. What is the latest thing that you've learned that you are really excited about? You know, I'm, I'm just constantly trying to learn in a bunch of different areas, either if it's strength and conditioning, or just psychology of coaching, or just development in general, baseball skill sets. This past weekend, I went to Seattle. I flew to Seattle and hung out with the guys at Driveline for two days. So I uh, just really wanted to see a day in the life of a guy that was up at Driveline at their facility. Everything that they're doing, I'm very open-minded when it comes to development. I don't, I don't throw anything out. I definitely like to do my own research about everything to see if it's something we want to implement or not implement, I think that's the biggest piece. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned or have started studying over the past year is meditation. I think there is a big piece and a big opportunity for baseball to start getting into meditation and the positive effects of meditation. I think a lot of people write off meditation just, you know, before they even try it. Um, you know, if I was in, when I was in Oklahoma, if I brought up meditation to anybody, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Gillum, you're crazy. You know, and I think we do that in general in our society or in our culture when things are foreign or we don't understand them. Sometimes we relate those things to, um, certain maybe cultures or religions and, and then we just write it off before we even try it. But if you just look at meditation as a whole, like it, 
it doesn't have to be linked to anything. Um, a lot of meditation is just laying down, controlling your breathing, trying to um, understand how to control your breathing, having visual uh, positive thoughts, or having no thoughts in general, just being able to sit there and be in the moment. I think that's a big piece to what baseball is as well as positive visualization, you know, learning how to control your breath, control your heart rate. I think those are big pieces to what we can implement within our program. I know on the West Coast, there's a lot of a lot of coaches and a lot of programs that are starting to implement it. There's three things where I started looking at and going, I think we should start doing something like this. One was I went to a barn, an AB barnstorming event this fall. It was at Cal State Fullerton, uh, where Kendra Visa is the sports psychology instructor at Cal State Fullerton. He basically started all that. He's kind of the godfather of sports psychology, I guess you could say, especially in the baseball world. And within Cal State Fullerton's program, you know, a lot of times in, in batting practice, pitchers have certain groups that they have to rotate in. So if there's like four groups of hitters, there'll be four groups of pitchers. Like one group will be on the bucket, one group will be shagging, one group will be doing maybe their dry work. And then they have one group that does like 10 minutes of meditation every single day. So I thought that was important. I'm like, man, Cal State Fullerton's doing it. Then why isn't South Mountain Community College doing it? You know, Cal State Fullerton usually leads a country in pitching in some form. I mean, if you look back a couple of years ago, they, heck, they walked like seven dudes. I don't know what it was, but it was an unbelievable, you know, they hardly walk anybody. So like, okay, what's going on here? If they're meditating, you know, why isn't South Mountain meditating? From there, I looked at TCU and Coach Sarlos. He's the pitching guy at TCU, and he came from Cal State Fullerton, and he does it as well. And they're always one of the best pitching uh, pitching teams in the country. So I'm like, okay, these guys are doing it as well. If you just study the facts of meditation um, and the performances that it, uh, that it leads to in general as a human being, they're all positive. Um, I think there's some elementary schools and some high schools that have actually gotten rid of detention and started having their students meditate instead. And the grades have went from bad grades to good grades. Uh, it, so I, I think that's important. The last piece to it on that meditation is just understanding how to control your mind and get rid of the chatter because I think we do that a lot within baseball if it's we're worried about scouts or what the coaches think or what our mom and dad thinks in the stands or anything like that on the meditation piece it's learning to get in the moment to stay where you're at try to be really good with where you're at and not think about basically get rid of all that um, chatter in your head you know so I think that meditation piece is something I've studied probably over the last year that's really stuck out more than anything and just trying to get better at it. But I'll tell you this, there's a guy, there's a book called tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you've read that, Jonathan, have you read that? I haven't. It's on my list. Okay. So unbelievable book. Tim Ferriss does a lot of podcasts, but he put all of his podcasts into this book and basically said, here's all the people that I've interviewed and here's why they're awesome human beings. So it's, you know, the best of the best, um, in a lot of different areas of life, and, and these people are highly successful. And what he found out of all of those people, there's like 600 people or something, uh, just a huge amount of number. What he found out was there was 80% of those people that he interviewed did some type of meditation or mindfulness in the morning. 
So whether that be prayer or something of that nature, but some type of meditation. And I said, man, if all these people that are highly successful are doing it again, why am I not doing it? Why is South Mountain not doing it? So, uh, like I said, uh, I don't throw anything out the door. I'm very open minded. I like to do my own research and figure out what's going on before I just, you know, say, nah, this doesn't work, you know. So, I, I, you know, I'm just trying to get better every day and figure out how I can help my players get better every day. So before you go, are, can you give us a couple of your favorite resources? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, huge book person. I read a lot of books. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to get a book collection of 300 books. I'm at about 150 right now. If you want to look at development, I think the talent code is huge. I think Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell is an awesome, awesome writer. He's got a book called The Tipping Point that's pretty cool. You know, anything that has to do with like Coach K, John Wooden. John Wooden had it figured out. He was way before his time. You know, just the best of the best coaches, Urban Meyer, Pete Carroll, uh, just a lot of these guys figure out what they're doing and just try to uh, try to replicate it. Um, uh, I love podcasts. Uh, I, I try to listen to a podcast every morning, kind of start my day um, just to get me just to spend some time and thought and get me thinking about different things. And, um, you don't know what you don't know. So I think you can learn from all those different types of people. My favorite podcast is Entree Leadership. Dave Ramsey's podcast um, got a lot of good business leaders, um, sports leaders on that podcast. Um, and then from there, I'm all over YouTube looking up all types of different motivational speakers, um, uh, you know, baseball scenarios, whatever it is. I, I'm huge just on YouTube with Eric Thomas, Tony Robbins, uh, Brian Tracy, John C. Maxwell, Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, Richard Makowicz, he's a Navy SEAL. Uh, Marcus Luttrell, I love all the Navy SEAL stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners before you go? Um, I, w- I would say this. I'll, I'll leave you with this. I think this is something inter- interesting that I've heard other coaches talk about, um, and I've kind of sto- stole it from them and just talking about development at a young age because we got a lot of club ball things that are going on right now and talking about development of young men. I heard a coach get asked by a parent one time, you know, who's the best hitting guy that they could take their uh, son to? Um, Who's the best pitching guy that they could take their son to or strength and conditioning coach? Um, The kid was like 18 years old. And uh, the coach responded with the best person that you can, the best thing that you can do for your son is you can go put him in gymnastics so he can create athleticism and balance. And then you can go put him in karate so he can learn discipline and how to handle failure. So I was like, that was a that was a big knowledge bomb for me. I was like, you know, if you take a look at both of those at a young age, um, and what was funny about it was I was in both of those at the age of eight years old, 10 years old. Um, I took gymnastics for a year, not because I wanted to do gymnastics at 10 years old, but I had a girlfriend at the time at 10 years old, and I told my mom to get me into the gymnastics course but i think it's huge if you just look at the athletic piece of it and the balance piece of it and then karate and what karate teaches you uh just being disciplined overall you know i think discipline is something that if i could really figure out um, an insight of a player that i'm recruiting is he disciplined with what he wants to do on an everyday basis 
you know, is he going to choose to go lift weights or is he going to choose to play video games? Is he going to choose to go to study hall or is he going to choose to go hang out with his friends doing nothing? You know, um, that discipline piece over a long period of time is a difference maker. And, um, I think that can be taught at a very young age through karate. So I think those two things are very important. So just for some parents out there that are always looking for, um, you know, ways to help their, their players in the future. I think those two things are far more important a lot of times than going to, going to find the best hitting and pitching coach. Man, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but thank you for sharing. So would you mind leaving us some contact information? Because I know there are some listeners who will want to get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, they can reach me by my email. It's tyler.gillum at southmountaincc.edu, which is the longest email in the history of emails. You can reach me on my cell. Just shoot me a text. Um, I love reaching out and connecting with as many coaches and people that I can. My cell phone number is 602-370-7649. And I uh, love to connect to anybody that wants to chat about baseball or development or uh, anything else, Texas country music, whatever it is. And you're pretty active on Twitter as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Gillum13. Um, I've made a lot of connections on Twitter. That's how me and you got connected. So if anybody would like to shoot me a DM or uh, follow me on there, I'd love to talk to you on there as well. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to get in touch with me or view the show notes, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.